While I was sitting tonight, I was thinking. In case you wondered. (laughs) What I was thinking about was a a study that I read about in graduate school when I was studying humanistic psychology and the teachings of Abraham Maslow, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. I'm sure many of you have studied that before. But when I was studying this book on Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, it included a survey, like a questionnaire, where students were asked about self-actualization. That was the, the name of the whatever version of realization, whatever realization of freedom or the, a higher kind of happiness, self-actualization. Students were asked uh, if, um, if they would like to experience that. And each person had a different response, but it was usually some flavor of, not yet. (laughs) And there were some funny ones, but I don't remember exactly what they were, but not yet because uh, those people seem kind of boring. (laughs) Or not yet, I have so many more experiences to have, as though when you're self-actualized, you'll stop living. There were all kinds of funny notions, but and we laugh at them a little bit, we chuckle. But I think most of us, in some way, uh, when asked, do you really want to be free? Do you want liberation more than anything else? There may be a little voice in you that says, well, not yet. Not now. Or the voice may arise in your mind is, I can't. Maybe others can, but I'm too screwed up. Or I have, I have too many things in the way, or I'm, you know, some, some version of I'm insufficient, or um, too restless, or too this, or too that. And the extent of, of belief in one of our considerations, I call it one, whatever your version of postponement is, depending on whatever that version, that is the, that is the veil that prevents you from, from experiencing uh, the very purpose of our practice, the very purpose. It shouldn't be forgotten that the whole purpose is freedom. And it's so easy to miss that freedom is the nature of our mind. It's the nature of, of your mind right here. That, that it's all, and where can, where can you find the nature of your mind? Where do you find that? Where do you find your deepest nature? The aspect of your mind that's free. Where do you find that? Where do we find it? We find it here. Because where is our mind? It's here. And it can only be found here. And yet, there is a, some kind of trance that I think most of us fall into. And it has some version of not now. Well, why not now? 
Why not now? I was thinking also during the sitting about the Buddha sitting under the Bodhi tree. Now, of course, he he didn't have very many guides in his day, and so he was figuring it out all by himself. And he sat down, and he, he wanted freedom. He didn't want anything else. He knew that he could not, you know, as you know the story, if he if he had to just keep doing what everybody else is doing and just accumulating a lot of experiences and a lot of stuff and having experiences come and go and, and having his own life come and go, it, for him that felt really empty, unsatisfactory, not a very reliable, pla- a reliable place to, to find relief. He said to his father, if I have to, if I have to go into your business... I have to be the Lord of the land. Uh, for me, it'd be like sitting on a bed of coals. If, that, if I don't have this, if I haven't discovered a, the true peace in my heart, a true sense of freedom. And finally, he sat down and he said, okay, I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. And I, I haven't been able to find it going out of myself looking. I didn't find it last year, and I have no idea whether I'm going to find it next year or tomorrow. But, so I'm going to look right here. Right here. So that's an invitation. When I say that tonight, I say, look right here. Isn't this, if it can only be found in the present, what's wrong with this present? What does your mind say? Does it say, not now, I can't? He sat under the Bodhi tree and he, he looked and he looked and he looked looked at his body, and his body was just a field of changing sensations. It didn't seem like there was anything very reliable to be found other than the fact that it oriented him to the, to the present. And just by putting his mind together with his body, as I invited you to do in the instructions tonight, he started to feel a little bit more steady, a little bit more harmony. And then he paid attention to his moods and to the voices in his mind. All the, the visitors, the voice of Mara saying, you shouldn't do this now. Not now. Go have some fun. Who do you think you are? But his mind, had, at this point, he didn't, he didn't believe that it could be found somewhere else through getting lost in the, in the dream of a better life, he knew better at that point. And he knew it couldn't be found in what had happened before. And even the view of a better life is already, the moment you think it is already in the past. Everything's sliding into the past. Everything that we orient ourselves to in our mind is always sliding into the past. Where are the 65,000 thoughts we had today. Back with the pharaohs, as one of my (laughs) friends says. So he couldn't find anything in the imagined future and the imagined past. That was just thoughts. They don't even exist. (laughs) But another funny thing happened is the more he paid attention, he involved heard this before, the more he paid attention, the, the effect of, of bringing 
attention, attention, the thing that is so utterly natural to us, attention. It's so close. It is so, uh, it's so us, attention, just the fact of awareness. It doesn't even have to be created. It's just there for you. The more that attention seemed to light on everything that he was paying attention to, all happening in the here and now, because there is no any, there is no nothing else. So why would we wait? Because this is where it is, this is where it's at. That's I'm thinking. You know, when I say that, I think of. Alan Watts, where he says, the whole purpose of practice is realized in the present moment. The whole idea is to dig the present, to groove with the eternal now, and to see that where it's at is simply here and now. That sounds nice, but it's actually much more profound than that. Attention is... is, uh, really special, this capacity that we have to be aware. It's so special and it's so close that we don't even realize how profound it is. But interestingly enough, when you use whatever it is that's happening in your immediate experience and let attention light on it and and actually attend to your sensations, your moods, the thoughts, the sounds, attention gets just like sitting with other people, it gets enhanced. When you sit with all the phenomena and each other, when I sit and I see you, my attention gets enhanced. I get more and more, I hopefully you get more and more, uh, as you look around or you sense yourself in this room, your attention is on that. You're aware of that. So your attention, when you... When it orients to what's here, not what happened before, not what's happening tomorrow, except unless your attention is noticing, oh, I'm thinking about tomorrow, I'm thinking about yesterday. That also enhances your attention if you consciously, clearly comprehend what it is that you're thinking about. That will also brighten your mind. And so what happened to him is his mind got brighter and brighter, as yours will if you practice, if you just practice. And this can be completely portable since attention is so natural to you. Always available, always here, always now, not tomorrow, not yesterday. Those are of the past, both tomorrow and yesterday, sliding as memory or plans into the past. It's always here. This is all, everything I'm talking about is available to you. And what happened to him is everything he paid attention to, his mind got brighter and brighter until he could not avoid realizing that his, his own mind was shining in its clarity, that it's in its innate nature the innate nature of attention is um, is very bright, open, clear, 
clearly comprehends what's happening and uh, and be and our attention when it gets bright like this it um, it becomes increasingly more interested in what's happening here it becomes much less interested in what happens what happened yesterday or what happened tomorrow now that's really different than our usual ordinate or orientation which is our whole life is about tomorrow or about yesterday. But then we realize that our whole, what we call our life is just our story of our life. And what is our true life has been missed while we're busy getting excited about our future life or about our former life. Excited in the way of, of sometimes of pleasant memories, sometimes in the form of misery, but most of our orientation is not to reality, which is the only place that we can find the purpose of this practice, which is freedom, liberation. So as his mind got brighter and brighter, shining in its clarity, fascinated, interested in love with what was being noticed, not no longer reacting to it, like, give me more, or push, push this away, I don't like this. It just opened to everything equally, just amazed by the display, by the magical display of sights and sounds and smells and tastes. Can you imagine having that orientation to the present moment instead of get me out of here? Maybe you already do. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. But in his case, the more, the more interested he got in the phenomena that were rising, the more he was able to see what was actually true about everything, all this, the, the display of the senses, depended on his body and his, these doors of perception. That's an amazing thing, too, the fact that we have eyes and that we have ears, and we have a nose, and we have tongue, and a body, and it registers so much. And then we have these hearts that respond, that are so sensitive, sympathetic. How amazing is that? How awesome is that? How unexplainable that is. But the more that, that kind of openness and awe and wonder at the arising and passing of, of things, and things coming and going, the more he saw that, oh, everything I look at comes and goes. Everything I hear comes and goes. Everything I feel comes and goes. Everything I think comes and goes. And the more he saw that everything comes and goes, more he came into harmony with things the way they are. No longer bound up, at least for a time, in how he wanted things to be, how they could be, or how they should be, how they were last year. So less bound up in memory and plan. His, his, his mind just kind of settled into what's sometimes called the 
the joy of equanimity. A taste, a sweet taste of a well-being that doesn't depend on circumstances. Just that sits in, you know, sits in the middle of everything. And as he grew, as he grew in familiarity with what was is always already here, the the um, the natural qualities and effect of moment of our attention when it's nurtured moment to moment, when he got more and more interested in that. It, uh, he was naturally pulled into not just enjoying the arising and passing of all the sense experiences, but he started to enjoy and explore the very nature of his mind. And then in a flash of insight, in a, in a moment, that can be recognized any moment. It's not just for the Buddha, because he didn't have any help along the line. That's why he spent the next 45 years reminding people, don't go out in search. Stop. Look to the nature of your own mind. And don't, don't postpone this. Because in a flash of insight, he saw that the nature of the very mind, the very mind that's sitting here, the very mind that is aware, it turns out that mind is primordially aware. It is deathless. It's unconditioned. It's free. Already. Always. And that's you. And when I look at, out in this room... I see the whole kaleidoscope of, of all the forms that our bodies take. It, is, we, this is, it feels to me like a very multicultural room, and our differences are so beautiful, and the, the expressions of, of our nature are so uh, individual and unique. But each of us, we are not limited to our unique cultural, historic um, versions of ourselves. That's a beautiful thing. But there's something that not only is it the air that we breathe that we share, we also share the same innermost nature. We also share the unconditioned, the unborn. We also share the very purpose of our practice. And it's realized right here. So we, we postpone in very funny ways. We postpone, we entrance ourselves into looking elsewhere, postponing just in a simple thought. uh, Any version of I can't be happy now. The story I've told so many times over the years that really brought it home to me the first time, well, not the first time, but one very stark time was when I was visiting one of my teachers in, in India and I got really, really sick. Please excuse me if you've heard this story too many times. But I got really sick, and I was just a mess. And not only was I a mess, but I was busy thinking I was a mess. 
And I didn't realize the extent to which the symptoms that I was experiencing, the display of physical and emotional and, you know, it was, it, it was, it was ugly. You know, every, you know, vomiting and I don't need to name any of the other ones. But a lot of, a lot of discharge. And I was weak, and I was feverish, and so many things going on. And, and it happens. It, uh, I used I, yeah, I think I've had, I traveled a lot in Asia, and I think I probably tried every kind of malady that they had. This time it was in India, and, and I, I don't even know what happened. But I was there to visit a teacher, and... I was so weakened by my experience of being ill that I, uh, that I finally, after several days, was able to drag my aching, weak body to see the guru, to see the teacher. His name is H.W.L. Punja, and I went to see the teacher, made my way up, you know, I was... I got. I bought some bananas, and the monkeys stole them from me. And then, and then I walked down the down the block, and I had to climb several flights of stairs to see him, to go visit him, as he was sitting on in this this hand wash blue painted room, and he was, you know, smiling. And yet I felt really miserable. I came in to see him, and and the first thing he said to me, with this little grin on his face, he says, "How are you feeling?" And I said, well, I'm feeling much better, but I'm still sick. And he looked at me, and he said, where is sick? And that moment that he said, where is sick? That whole story of sick evaporated. I couldn't find sick. I knew that was a story in that moment. And the very instant that story evaporated, I'm still sick. Even though it seems like a reasonable descriptor of having, still having some symptoms. But I didn't realize that I had, it had become a belief. It had become a view. It had become what the Buddha called Sakaya Ditti, a self-view. And when that was gone, an, an enormous rush of energy flowed through my system, and I was awake again. I was just purely awake. Still had the symptoms, but they were not interrupting the, the ever-present wakefulness that I am and that you are. So many examples of this, where we literally postpone our sense of presence by connecting more, identifying more with the idea of what we're experiencing rather than the directness of it. So you might want to consider how, how it is, your version of, of postponement, your version of, of creating an identity that in some measure prevents you from being free right now. 
And it was clear after that experience for me that sick does not prevent you from being free. No conditions prevent you from being free because freedom is your nature. And the teachings all create, help us create the conditions to see all of those stories that block our, um, our natural freedom, our natural great peace. I love that Andrea said when she sees the sunset, she feels it, it reflects back the inner silence. And when she sees it with other people, it intensifies that. And there's something about having our inner, our natural wakefulness, which is always silent. The awareness that you experience, even these words, the awareness is not, is, is silent. And when we share in that recognition of, of our, what some would call our Buddha nature, Buddha just means awake, wakefulness. When we share in that Buddha nature, it, it, um, it enhances it. And you can see, perhaps, that not just the sunset, but just being together reminds us the words of Noshul Ken Rinpoche, where he says, rest in natural great peace. This exhausted mind, beaten helpless by karma and neurotic thought. And the neurotic thought is all the ways that we postpone being freed now. He continues, like the relentless fury of the pounding waves in the infinite ocean of samsara. Samsara means this endless wandering, this endless searching for that future that never arrives because time is always and only now. So why not now? Why not this present moment? Your recognition of your nature will always happen in the present. And so why not this present moment? Why not freedom right now? Maybe it's we just don't feel the sense of urgency. But you don't have time. We don't have time. We think we have time. And so we're, we're, we tend to be busy focusing on other matters. Here's the Dalai Lama. He says, what surprises him most about humanity? He says, man. He sacrifices his health in order to make money. Then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. And then he's so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present. The result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he's never going to die and then dies having never really lived. So somehow or other, we have to break through our complacency, have to awaken in us a sense of urgency that we don't necessarily have time. And even if we do have time, why wait to be free? Why postpone for one moment, recognizing that in you, is something, what's most natural to you is, is, is already immovable, free, open. And the face of that freedom and openness is uh, 
when you are in touch with that natural freedom, that natural great peace, the face of that is love. Is is that deep and deep capacity to resonate with with everything and everyone. Of course, that means that you're also open to the pain wherever it shows up. But that's just just makes us even more tender, sweet. So don't postpone. That's my words for tonight. <laughs> I'll just read, end with the words of an Advaita Vedanta master, Ramana Maharshi. This is the way he put it. No special effort is necessary to realize your nature. All efforts are for eliminating the present obscuration. A lady wearing a necklace around her neck. She forgets it, imagines it to be lost, and impulsively looks for it, here, there, and everywhere. Not finding it, she asks her friends if they found it anywhere. Until one kind friend points to her neck and tells her to feel the necklace around her neck. The seeker does so and feels happy that the necklace is found. Again, when she meets other friends, they ask her if her lost necklace was found. She says yes to them, as if it were lost and later recovered. Her happiness at rediscovering it around her neck is the same as if some lost property was recovered. In fact, she never lost it, nor recovered it. And yet, she was once miserable, and now she's happy. This is also true with the realization of our true nature. So let's rest in natural great peace, naturally awake, uncreated, unborn. Kabir says, Oh, how I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty. You don't understand that what is most alive lives inside your own house. And so you wander from one holy city to the next with a confused look. Oh, how I laugh when I hear that the fish in the water is thirsty. May all beings know freedom. May all beings be at peace. May all beings live in harmony.
Thank you. Please be mindful. It'll pay off, I promise, moment by moment. And do it with love. Do it with kindness. It's easy to get reactive to what we notice. Anyway, thanks for your practice and thanks for your generosity. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.